Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 179 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I spoke with a primatologist and biological anthropologist about the ballerinas of the Central and South American rainforests, spider monkeys. We discuss what life in the treetops looks like through a spider monkey's big, beautiful eyes, the latest innovations in butt-scratching technology, and the power of friendship. Just the Zoo of Us presents Spider Monkeys with Dr. Michelle Rodriguez. Hello, friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. Welcome back to Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, we have a brand new friend that I'm extremely excited to talk to. This is Dr. Michelle Rodriguez. Say hi, Dr. Michelle. Hello. Nice to meet everyone. Michelle, what are your pronouns? They're she, her. Thank you so much. I am so excited to talk to you. You study and work with some really, really incredible animals that I'm super excited to learn more about and get to know. But before we talk about our really cool animals today, I'd love to talk about you a little bit. What kind of work do you do with these cool animals? I study their behavior, and I've also studied their ecology and their hormones. And the goal of a lot of my research is understanding why primates form friendships, how they form friendships, and how that helps them cope with stress. This is fascinating to me because a lot of times we don't necessarily think a lot about animals being friends with other animals. You know, like we think about animals being friends with us as our like, <laughs> pets, you know, and things like that. But we we don't typically think about, you know, animals being friends with each other and how that affects their lifestyle. What has that research looked like for you? Are you like going out into the wild and looking at wild monkeys or looking like watching them in zoos? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, so I've done both. I've done both captive research in zoos. I've worked with spider monkeys in sanctuaries, but then I also did a lot of field work in Costa Rica. The zoo research and the Costa Rican research, the field research, they're similar in some ways that you're watching monkeys and observing their behavior in captivity. It's easier in some ways because if you want, say, biological samples like poop, which tells us lots of information, the keepers can collect that. But in, if you're in the wild, you have to follow the monkeys around and wait for them to poop and hope the poop doesn't fall into the swamp or anything like that. What a glamorous job. <laughs> well, it's better than when it falls on your head. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just had a bird poop on me and I felt so blessed because it was a bird I'd never <laughs> seen before. So I was like, I, I, after I lamented the fact that I was so excited to see this bird and then it pooped on me, everybody that I told about that said, oh, that's good luck if you get pooped on by a bird, which I don't know if that was like them trying to console me and make me feel better about getting pooped on. <laughs> I've heard that one before. Does that apply to monkeys too? Yeah, so, well, it's a kind of running joke amongst primatologists. We refer to it as the field baptism when you get peed or pooped on in the field. So like, you're not a real primatologist until you've had that experience. And then you're kind of part of the club. <laughs> you have to be anointed. Yes. <laughs> I imagine that being uh, in a zoo setting is maybe a little bit more uh, 
sanitized. It is. I mean, there's pros and cons. It's a little bit easier to see the animals. You tend to get better visibility. As I said, having if you're having keepers collect samples, it's usually a bit easier on you. But I would say the tougher part is sometimes zoo crowds can be a bit much. Mm. Sometimes uh, it's a lot easier when you kind of have a little more peace and quiet, which sometimes happens during the low hours for zoos. And field work, it's harder, but it also can be a lot more rewarding in really unexpected ways, such as having other random encounters with different animals or just getting to see cool things in rainforest ecosystems. Oh, gosh, I bet. There's all sorts of amazing critters out there. I bet you've seen some amazing stuff. Yeah, so I was actually just to a friend about some of our animal encounters studying primates. And it's kind of random who who or what animals we see. I've had a lot of uh, run-ins with these weasel-like animals called teras. Oh, I've heard of those. They're so cute. Uh, they sometimes make these, like little kazooie sounds. There was actually just this research published about how, uh, if you've ever heard of, of a kawadi or kawadimundi, Yes. You have those little like raccoon like faces. Uh, they sometimes will actually be on the forest floor, like listening for where the monkeys are dropping food so they can like forage on all the fruit that the monkeys have dropped. And oh. so if you're standing quietly in the forests watching spider monkeys, sometimes there'll just be a little family of kawadis that'll like quietly surround you. And if you're not moving much, they don't notice or mind you. They get scared if you make any sudden movements, but then you'll just be watching the monkeys surrounded by coyotes, and it's kind of just a little magical experience. They're just like in harmony with each other. That's so, I bet that's so beautiful. It is. So for people listening who aren't super familiar with spider monkeys, where are they found in the world and, and what are they like? Yeah, so spider monkeys live in Central and South America. There's a few different species. Uh, their northernmost range is kind of southern Mexico um, around the Yucatan Peninsula. And then they go kind of south into the Amazon. And so spider monkeys are a type of what used to be called New World Monkey. Now we call them Monkeys of the Americas. And that means that uh, they're more distantly related to us than the monkeys that are found in Africa and Asia. But they're also a really cool group. Uh, these groups of monkeys tend to live more of their lives in the trees and spider monkeys are actually a part of a group of monkeys that have these special adaptations they're called adelines adelines and they have uh what are called true prehensile tails and so if you've ever seen a picture of a monkey hanging from its tail if it can hang from his its tail and like support its whole weight that is what a prehensile tail is and it's only a group of about a handful of species that can actually do that. Yeah, we just talked about one really recently on the show. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was an arboreal species that had a prehensile tail. And I remember being like surprised by how rare that actually is compared to how often you see animals do it in cartoons. <laughs> yeah, there's only a group you may be thinking woolly monkeys or howler monkeys or marikis. There's also capuchins have a bit of a prehensile tail, but they actually don't have, I mean, it's a little messy what you call a true prehensile tail and a, a prehensile tail that's not quite there. Capuchin monkeys can hang from their tails, but what they don't have that the spider monkeys and marikis and woolly monkeys and howler monkeys have is they have this bare patch underneath their tail. 
and it actually has a fingerprint. Whoa. <laughs> so fingerprints are called uh, dermatoglyphics. They actually evolved to help primates grip surfaces like tree branches. And so having that bare patch with those kind of grippy surfaces helps them to get a really good solid purchase on a branch so that it supports their weight and they can hold on tight. And they have these really strong tail muscles too. And they're very dexterous. They're able to basically use it like an extra hand. Are their tail pads unique like our fingerprints are? Yes, they are. Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, to unlock their phones, they have to hold their tail up to the tail print reader. If they had phones, that would probably be what they do. <laughs> uh, capuchins are really cute, too. They're adorable, but they're evil and mischievous. And I mean, they're lovable, but they're it. like, don't cross them. They're scary. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think like, if there had been a, a situation in which I had seen spider monkeys in the wild. And when you mentioned that they live in the Yucatan Peninsula, I realized that I think I have seen wild spider monkeys in Mexico. Uh, we went to Chachoben, these uh, Mayan ruins at Chachoben, and they saw these really charismatic, agile monkeys that were just like effortlessly gliding through the treetops. It was so cool. Like, you know, just like the fluidity of their movements looked so effortless. They were just jumping around in the trees. I don't know for sure if it was spider monkeys specifically, um, but they looked like they had those, you know, those long lanky limbs and, and they were uh, like a dark brown color, which I, I think is that what spider monkeys like look spider like. There, there also probably were howler monkeys in the area, but howlers are a little less energetic. Yeah, these, these little guys were moving. <laughs> sounds like spider monkeys. And they were so delightful to see. I, they were moving too fast for me to get a picture. So I can only imagine how frustrating it is trying to do research on them in the wild. <laughs> yeah, it can be a challenge. They're not one of the easiest species to study. I've also heard about a lot of animals that like their behavior can change a lot between in the wild and in captivity. And since you've kind of studied their behavior in both, is that something that you ran into? Like their behavior being very different based on whether they were like in the wild or like in a zoo? It can though. I mean, there's also a level of, they behave different sometimes at different sites, uh, at different zoos. With zoos, it kind of depends on what the social group composition is, what their enclosure is like, how much space there is, whether there's kind of a lot of arboreal things to climb on or not. Generally, in captivity, they tend to spend a lot more time resting and socializing because they don't need to spend as much time having to travel around or forage. But oh, sure. a good zoo enclosure will usually give them enrichment so they have like some foraging tasks to do. If they have enough space and areas to climb, they do get energetic. When I studied uh, the spider monkeys at the Brookfield Zoo in uh, the Chicago area, they had this nice enclosure with these kind of fake trees. And so there was kind of a rhythm to their day where they'd spend a lot of time resting and grooming during certain parts of the day. And then they just get really energetic, uh, particularly closer to around the time that uh, the zoo would close. And they'd be going into their nighttime enclosures where they get fed all the really exciting food. And then, then they would really pick up an activity. Mmm, like I got my treats. <laughs> I get, I too get a little energized when I get a little treat. You know, you're coming home from a day of work. You're like, I'm going to stop and get myself a little candy bar or something. It just perks you right up. I feel like I can relate to that. Yeah. For spider monkeys, that would be really good sugary ripe fruits. I have seen primates go absolutely bonkers for like grapes. 
I feel like grapes is a lot of times like what I see them like in zoos, they'll give them grapes as like an incentive to like, or, like use it in training, you know, like if yeah. you like to incentivize a behavior, like you do a good thing, you get a grape. Yeah. Spider monkeys are ripe fruit specialists. And what that means is they like to wait until fruit is really ripe. At that point, it's sweeter. Sometimes they even actually wait for certain fruits to kind of ferment a little. Oh. So uh, there's a, a fruit called spondius. It was one that was around my field station and kind of had this slow fruiting season where like they it had the fruits and they turn green and they'd slowly turn a brighter kind of yellow orange color and they'd wait for them to get to that yellowish orange color. And that's when they get sweetest. They're uh, most easy to digest, but that's also uh, studies have shown that they actually can have like three to 5% alcohol by the time that the spider monkeys actually go and forage on them. Is this intentional? (laughs) Are they like seeking out an alcohol content? So possibly it's hypothesized that our taste for alcohol actually comes from being kind of ripe fruit specialists ourselves. And basically Mm. when fruit ripens to the point that it kind of over ripens and starts to ferment, it's kind of that fine line between you want the fruit when it's like at its best but not until it's gone on too long. But it seems like we may have developed a taste for both sugar and low levels of alcohol as being kind of rewarding together. Oh, as like a little sign, like this one's fermented, this one's good. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I never heard that before, but that's so cool. I feel like I also kind of like fruit when it's just a little, what I think is maybe considered by a lot of people to be like overripe, you know, like when you're yeah. when your grapes start to get a little soft or when the banana's got a lot of brown specks on it. I'm like, mmm, that's good stuff that's right there. That's the way I like bananas as well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the brown speckles on the banana can be a little bit of a polarizing thing, but I'm definitely <laughs> uh I like it to have a good solid coating of brown specks on it. That's when it's like, oh it's so sweet. Right fruit specialist. Okay, if this is your first time listening to Just the Zoo of Us, what we do is we rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. First up is effectiveness, how well this animal is adapted physically, things built into its body to let it thrive where it lives, do the things it's trying to do. You mentioned this is an arboreal animal that spends its life, you know, living in the treetops. It is also a, a, like you said, a ripe fruit specialist who eats a lot of fruit. So I'm, I'm curious to know, what do you give spider monkeys out of 10 for a effectiveness definitely a 10 out of 10 they are so well adapted to an arboreal environment they can fly through the trees they do what's called semi-brachiation so uh true brachiation is kind of what you see if you were a kid and you were on the monkey bars swinging under the bars swinging your arms uh only apes can truly do that but because spider monkeys use their tail they kind of cheat and uh (laughs) do this semi-brachiation thing where the tail helps kind of like don't have the same range of mobility in their shoulders that monkeys do but with the tail kind of assisting them that propels them to kind of fly through the forest and it's amazing like it is very hard to keep up on the ground with spider monkeys (laughs) flying in the trees they are so fast I know with a lot of like other arboreal animals that that spend a lot of time up in the branches and things like that, that long tail, uh, even for animals that don't 
have like a prehensile tail, it's really good for like keeping balance. Is that kind of what they use theirs for? Is it more for like actual structural support? It's for structural support. And I mean, most tails, primate tails, they do use for balance. Most primate tails are not prehensile. So really balance is all they're good for. But with spider monkey tails, because they have that prehensile tail and it's so muscular, it's useful for support. They actually can really use it like an extra hand. So when I worked with spider monkeys in captivity, sometimes we'd have to sneak some food to one of the lower ranking monkeys and there'd be a higher ranking monkey. Like, and we'd only interact through the wire mesh for safety, but they could stick their tails out of the mesh. And there was one of them that she'd stick her tail out of the mesh and like root in my pockets to see if I had (laughs) anything hidden. Just checking to see if you've got any hidden treats. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. They're cheeky like that. I'm wondering like if they're spending a lot of time running around in the trees, what does their sort of perception of the world look like as far as like their sensory input? Are they mostly like relying on vision or hearing? Like what what does their input look like? Uh, So a bit, definitely vision, um, hearing and smell. They probably rely on smell and chemical communication a bit more than us. They also have this actually kind of uh, funny vision system. Some of the monkeys in the Americas have the same sort of thing where all the males are dichromats, which means that they basically are colorblind. But then some of the females are trichromats and can see color, but not all of them are. It's genetic, which they end up with. It's like having a superpower. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's something that actually, if you can, especially in the trees, if you can see the difference between the color red and green, that gives you an advantage of being able to see your ripe fruit sometimes. But it's strange that for the African and Asian monkeys, as well as apes, we're all having that trichromatic color vision. But in the uh, monkeys of the Americas, it's just really uneven which species are dichromats or trichromats or a mix of both. Does that have some sort of implication about like the evolutionary history of the monkeys of the Americas? Like, did they maybe like split off before we all figured out the the color vision thing? Yeah, it's it seems like what happened is the ancestor of that lineage was not a trichromat, must have been a dichromat that didn't have good color vision. And then it independently evolved in some lineages, but not all. Huh. You know, I've also heard about this, like, difference between the trichromat and dichromat vision in animals that live, you know, in the forest, where being able to tell red from green would be extremely helpful, uh, that, like, the lack of being able to tell red from green very well uh, is very helpful for predators that have, like, reddish to brownish fur, like big cats, like tigers with like orange fur. So like if their prey can't tell the difference between green and orange, it's really difficult for them to see a tiger. I learned that from Tyus Williams. He told me that on our tiger episode. And I have thought about it every single, this is probably the fifth time I've talked about that on this (laughs) podcast because it just blew my mind and I think about it every single day. But for the spider monkey's purpose, do they have to be afraid of jaguars? Oh, they are very afraid of jaguars for good reason. So being able to tell a a reddish orange to brown from green would be extremely helpful in not getting eaten by jaguars, I would think. Yeah, that makes sense. Are jaguars kind of like public enemy number one for the spider monkey? Probably. There are some places in South America where harpy eagle might be even scarier, but they don't Mm. have those uh, in Costa Rica where I worked. So jaguar was the scariest thing they had to worry about. 
I say that, but also I feel like I've seen videos online of monkeys messing with jaguars, like just for funsies. Interesting. Well, so the thing with jaguars, they're ambush predators. So like if they see you and you don't see them, that's when you're in trouble. So for monkeys, when they see a predator, it is really important to vocalize or throw things or just make a lot of motion so that the predator knows the jig is up because they're not going to attack when they don't they don't have the advantage of the surprise attack. Oh, sure. Or at least not usually. So they're kind of finding strength in like numbers, like alerting each other and they have like a like a little alarm system. Yeah, so I was actually just talking to uh, a colleague about this because we were just comparing some of our field stories and uh, we were talking about the fact that like Sometimes you may not have actually seen a jaguar, but a jaguar probably might have seen you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying. We have jaguars at our uh, zoo here in Jacksonville. Uh, the Jacksonville Zoo has a really beautiful jaguar exhibit. And just like a week or two ago, I was there. They had this little table set out with like a keeper who was giving information about jaguars. And on the table, they had a real jaguar skull. Mm -hmm. And this thing was the craunchingest skull I've ever seen in my life. This was like a complete powerhouse. The fact that like spider monkeys have that to deal with on a daily <laughs> basis, like, and the fact that they're not just getting completely wrecked left and right, I think has to speak a lot to their agility. <laughs> Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to rate ingenuity and aesthetics for spider monkeys, so stick around. They can be anywhere, at your office, in your car, and they are wrong. My mom says that the gray house didn't exist, but she's wrong. He just does it wrong. Someone in your life is wrong about something. Something small, something weird, something vitally important. Only one person has the courage to tell them just how wrong they are. You know what you did was wrong, but your daughter is a liar who eats garbage. <laughs> they call me Judge John Hodgman. Listen to me on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. If someone in your life is doing you wrong, don't just take it. Take it to court. Submit your case at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Hi, I'm Ketchup. And I'm Socks. And I'm Ball Bearings. And I'm Pigeons. And I'm Water Towers. And I'm Cardboard. Surprise! We're actually humans. Humans making a podcast about those kinds of topics. Because those are real episode topics on the podcast, secretly incredibly fascinating. That's a podcast where we take ordinary seeming things like ketchup and socks and cardboard and bring you the little known history and science and stories that make those things secretly incredibly fascinating. Secretly incredibly fascinating! The title of the podcast. Hear the back catalog anytime and hear new amazing episodes every Monday at MaximumFun.org. And since you mentioned that, you know, they're relying a lot on informing each other of danger and kind of falling back on their bonds with each other and, and finding strength in numbers and socialization. That is a great transition into the next category that we rate animals on, which is ingenuity. So this is like behavioral adaptations, things the animal is doing to solve problems it faces, ways it can kind of, you know, get out of trouble or conquer obstacles that it faces. What do you give spider monkeys out of 10 for ingenuity. Oh, they are definitely a 10 out of 10. 
It's gotta be, right? I feel like there's a high bar with primates <laughs> in ingenuity. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say that's true of all primates, but especially spider monkeys. There's actually some cognitive tasks in captivity there where they've performed comparably to orangutans and chimpanzees wow. and better than gorillas, better than kitchen monkeys too. Um, and it kind of depends which task. I think if you were to ask, if say if a capuchin monkey or a spider monkey was smarter, I would say, it depends on what sort of task and who is more motivated. Right. Uh, so <laughs> are better tool users. They use tools a lot more. They're the best of the monkeys in the Americas and probably the monkeys overall. There's only been a handful of uh, spider monkeys using tools observed in the wild. And I'm one of the very lucky people that have gotten to see that. Really? What were they using? Well, I got to watch this juvenile spider monkey break off a stick and chew the end of it, and then use the chewed end to scratch the underside of her butt and tail. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a particularly uh, glamorous moment, but that it is- It was very uh, exciting for me. Highlight of my no, life. No, <laughs> I would have been losing it. Yes, watching a monkey craft its own butt scratcher. <laughs> what, a, what a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> and we basically, between my colleague and I, we've had three observations at our field site of that. And I was hoping to see, it was during our master's research, we were hoping to see more of it. We still haven't seen more of it. So it's just kind of a, a random observation that's only happened a few times. Now, did it seem to you like this was something that like, since you said you saw this multiple times, like three, three times you said that you observed this, does it seem like it was something that was a behavior that was being passed from one monkey to the other or something that was just like a spontaneous idea that just happened to like come up multiple times? I think it's the latter. It's hard to tell, uh, but uh, the other two observations were both adult females. My colleague Stacy Lynchfield saw that, um, and she saw it in two different spider monkey communities. So, given that it's happened a couple times in different individuals, different communities, but doesn't happen frequently, I think it's just probably independent innovation. If we'd seen it more often, then I would have thought there'd be a socially transmitted aspect, but mm. it seems so rare. It's just like a call that they have where they're like, mm, my butt itches. <laughs> like I have to <laughs> listen to your heart. Your heart will show you the way how to chew on a <laughs> stick and turn it into a butt scratcher. It's just like a deeply ingrained instinct in the primate brain. <laughs> it's like your butt itches. It is time. <laughs> Masters of innovation. Yes, it's like a ceremonial, like, ah, oh, it's your rite of passage. It's time for you to craft your first butt scratcher. <laughs> I would love it if they had like a family heirloom of like, this was the butt scratcher that your great grandmother crafted out of a stick. And now it's passed on to you. Well, I'm going to say one of the greatest regrets of my life is that I did not collect the stick or take pictures of it or keep it forever. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> But at least they get to keep their butt scratcher. <laughs> I so, think she probably dropped it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably didn't uh, exactly cherish it the way that you probably would have. I'm sure you would have taken very good care of maintaining that butt scratcher. It, it just didn't even occur to me. And then later when we we're writing about it, we we're like, if I had taken it and taken a picture and saved it, we could have identified what tree it came from or if it's like 
a tree bark that might have some medicinal properties. <gasps> oh, we now there's even a thought. thought of that. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that until you said that. But yeah, I wonder if there is something going on there where it was like a, a particular type of tree bark that is like especially soothing on the butt itch. <laughs> Well, there is also uh, both spider and capuchin monkeys do uh, this leaf rubbing. And sometimes when they do it, there's certain plants, like there's a plant called piper that actually kind of has some anti-mosquito properties. So it's kind of a natural repellent. Now, I live in Florida against a pond, and I can <laughs> tell you that there is nothing in life more valuable than mosquito repellent. Yes, having spent a lot of time in a very swampy rainforest, I 100% agree. That was probably like item number one on their agenda. They're like, we got to figure out how to do something about these bugs. This is too much. <laughs> you mentioned that a lot of your research was on social interactions and social behavior of these monkeys and, and how and why they form friendships. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. Like, what do, what do spider monkey friendships look like? Well, so part of it is the time they spend together. So one of the cool things about spider monkeys that made me really interested in them is they live in these social systems that are called vision fusion. What that means is instead of being in a cohesive social group where everyone's with each other all the time, they have this larger community, but they can form these really flexible subgroups that are always changing. So they can join up with a few individuals and then go off on their own or just forage with offspring and then go back to a tree with lots of other monkeys and forage together. So it's actually an adaptation to reduce uh, feeding competition. Oh, If there's a lot of monkeys in a tree and you don't want to compete with them, you can go off on your own. But uh, when there's lots of fruit and there's less competition, you can come back together. But I really think it's interesting because it offers them a bit of kind of social choice. And so when you see monkeys traveling together a lot, feeding together, socializing together, it really reflects this choice of social preference. And so just who they're hanging out with regularly and how often they're hanging out is part of it. When you say social preference, do you mean like they have certain individuals that they just prefer spending time with? Yes. They're best friends. <laughs> yes, there's actually, uh, there is two adult females that my field assistants and I used to call the BFFs. Uh, they oh were JLo and Leela. We gave oh, them my word. names, uh, but they were the two monkeys that could be seen together the most. And when I analyzed my data, it absolutely bore that out that they had the closest relationship, that they were spending the most time together. And they both had offspring that would play together. <gasps> they were really cute. Like, uh, I remember one time seeing uh, them huddling and grooming together and just the way they were, they would like lean on each other and snuggle was really adorable. I love seeing like this display of like tenderness between, yeah. I feel like especially when you see it in primates, it, it feels like so resonant with the human brain. That's like, ah, yes, me too. Right. But when you see them just like loving on each other, that is just blissful. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> We see that I see this uh, in the bonobos at our zoo. I love watching the bonobos. Oh, you have bonobos at your zoo. I love bonobos. Watching them is always really incredible because of how like the, the sort of like tenderness and sweetness they show each other. And yeah. then, you know, like one of them will kind of get annoyed with the other and push them away. But then a couple <laughs> minutes later, they're right back to it. You know, it's very much like when you get in a little spat with your family member and then like a couple days later, it's like it never happened. 
Yeah. I'm wondering, like, you know, with any sort of animal that has a lot of, like, very close uh, social structures and things like that, do you see any sort of recurring conflicts pop up between them? And do they have a sort of, like, conflict resolution, uh, like, strategy? Actually, so uh, that's been studied really well in some primates. I have some observations of it but not enough to really be enough data to look conclusively at it. But one thing you do see is after sometimes the females get in a spat, usually kind of over foraging conflict and feeding, uh, they'll sometimes reconcile. What they'll do is they'll embrace. Hug it out. (laughs) Yeah. So they'll hug it out. Spider monkeys actually have a funny way of embracing. What they do is they hug like we would, but they also do this, what's called peck sniffing, which looks like they're like sniffing each other's armpits. They've actually got a gland there that they can smell, but they do the like the sniff and the hug together. Oh, that's adorable. Cause like, that's so funny because it's like, we do that too, you know, like hugging it out (laughs) with, with somebody that you've just had an argument with is, you know, a great way to sort of like relieve tension and, and kind of clear the air a little bit. I don't know why we lost touch with the pit sniffing. We should bring that back. (laughs) I mean, it seems to be a spider monkey specific thing. And But I have done some kind of comparative research with chimpanzees and bonobos and spider monkeys. And I think there's actually kind of some interesting parallels in the way that they do these reconciliation and reassurance gestures where each species does them a little bit differently, but there's kind of overlap in how they're done. Oh, sure. Some similarities between like orangutan conflict resolution and chimp and and spider monkey conflict resolution. Yeah, how does the like social structure of spider monkey groups affect like the childcare of the babies? So uh, spider monkeys are one of the species where mothers pretty much do all the care. But uh, what the spider monkey mothers will often do is travel in what we call nursery parties, where there's a few different females traveling with their offspring. That gives kind of a few more eyes to keep an eye on what's going on. There was, for example, one time at my field site where one of my colleagues observed a Tara kind of approaching up to one of the kids and one of the females chased it off and having more eyes is always good. And then it also provides opportunities for the little infants and juveniles to socialize together. Yeah, they're probably learning too, like probably learning uh, quite a bit. Oh, they have so much to learn and it's really fun to watch <laughs> that process. Does it seem like the the moms that are in the nursery group, does it seem like they're intentionally teaching the babies? I I feel like I've seen this with some like other types of primates where it seems like they kind of sit down and like do something very simply for the baby to learn. Uh, It depends. It's probably a lot more passive observation, especially with things like foraging. But there are sometimes cases like where you kind of see a mother encouraging an offspring. So for example... Uh, One thing that spider monkeys do uh, for the kids is when the juveniles start to travel independently of mom, it's still hard for them to do things because they're smaller. So because spider monkeys like fly through the trees and cross these large gaps that are kind of scary, for some of the larger gaps, what moms or sometimes other individuals will do is they'll basically form a bridge between the branches where like they've got their hands out at one end and their feet and tail out at the other end. And the juveniles can basically use their back as a bridge to cross that gap. Oh, I'm going to cry. That's so cute. It's so adorable, but it's actually funny seeing kind of the variation in that. Like, there's been times I've seen a mom make a bridge and the juvenile's like, no, mom, I don't need it. I'm going on my own. And then there's (laughs) another really cool observation I had where uh, 
I saw Leela actually basically cross a big gap, leaving her daughter Lorelai on the other tree behind and then kind of waiting and encouraging her to make the leap herself. This is an extremely relatable experience. Yeah, and it, it was, I, I wrote a blog post about it a long time. It was just really adorable because Lorelai was clearly kind of scared and hesitant. Leela's like sitting at the other tree, kind of waiting and encouraging, and Lorelai finally did it. Oh, but it's, it's really cool to see those like little mo- moments of those offspring achieving independence and mastery over their environments. Yeah, I, I have two kids. And so I've definitely been the one, like in the pool, there's a lot of times that we'll like get in the pool and then be like, you can do it, jump on in. <laughs> oh, that is a very relatable experience. It was pretty adorable. In your time, like observing the spider monkeys and watching them and, and researching what they're doing, I did want to ask, you know, we've talked about the butt scratcher, <laughs> but I did want to ask if there was any time that you were watching them and you saw them do something that was like really surprising or really caught you off guard that kind of like stuck with you. I mean, I definitely think that the butt scratching is the most exciting. <laughs> that is very uh, cool. That is very yeah, innovative. I, I will describe there is something mysterious that I found intriguing that I still puzzle over. There was one time uh, that my field assistant and I were walking up the road that goes through the forest. And it's just a dirt road. Um, but we saw like up ahead on the road what was like looked like mammals just sitting in the road. We look with our binoculars. And it's a whole group of male spider monkeys just sitting in the middle of the road on the ground. And so spider monkeys are usually fairly smart animals. They know that roads are probably risky. There's not a lot of traffic on that road, so it wasn't a huge risk. But they don't come down to the ground too often. And when they do, they're usually very vigilant. So to just see them sitting in the middle of the road, like they're all just kind of sitting together. It was like they were... So having some sort of mysterious conference going on, I don't know, it was weird. And once we started approaching, then they all got up and like went into the trees and crossed. And I'm so baffled. You crashed their party. Yeah, my only hypothesis, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but there are at other sites groups of male spider monkeys doing these territorial raids on the ground where they go into another spider monkey's community and they're really like, Sneaky, they walk single file very silently to like often kind of encroach on and attack individuals in the other community. I don't know if it's related to that or not, but I was wondering if they were planning to go to a neighboring territory or something, but I don't know. It was just such such a strange thing. It was just a meeting of the Spider Monkey Council. <laughs> they were just having a little a in little the middle of the road. <laughs> a little committee meeting that you weren't <laughs> invited to. And then you shut up and they were like, oh, well, I suppose we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they just had some extra fermented fruit and uh, <laughs> maybe just needed somewhere flat to lie down for a little while. <laughs> they were having a boys night. That's all it was. <laughs> boys night out. Did it seem like when they got up and walked away where they maybe walking a little wobbly? Not that I noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I would be spooked. I feel like I would be kind of like, what are y'all playing? I would feel like they were trying to ambush me. Yeah, it it was disconcerting. It was just (laughs) so strange. Since we were talking about the babies being adorable and how it's just unbearably cute to see the way that these uh, monkeys can show tenderness towards each other, I did want to talk about aesthetics 
for spider monkeys, which is the final category that we rate animals on. This is just straightforward how whether it's cute or beautiful or cool or just how nice you find this animal to look at aesthetically what do you give them out of 10 for aesthetics oh they are definitely a 10 out of 10 they are the most adorable babies and when you see how elegant they are in the trees it's just amazing they do have this sort of like very fluid motion about them like they are so adept at moving between the tree branches they're like flying ballerinas they are i i feel like seeing a photo of them doesn't really do them justice i feel like you need to see them like in motion yeah you have to see the way they move you know what is funny what kind of gets me about any sort of like arboreal primate i suppose is the ratio of the lengths of their arms to their legs Mm -hmm. um how they end up having these like their arms way longer than their legs which makes them look a little silly when they're standing up i think (laughs) yeah a little bit but it looks, it makes perfect sense if you see them hanging down from their tail and their feet and they have these beautiful long arms. And uh, the Central American spider monkeys uh, have these like what we call black gloves. It's basically the legs and arms are just from the elbow down black. And when you see the, them hanging down, it looks like they're wearing elbow gloves, like they're going to the opera or something. That's a look. As you were describing them, I I just threw, you know, spider monkey into Google image search. And I do see a picture describing exactly what you're talking about. Have this sort of like tan colored fur, but then these sort of like half sleeve gloves. That is a good look. I love that. It looks like a, a, when you see like a cat that has like the smoky point markings, like a Siamese cat, that's kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, it's kind of a similar color pattern. They also, they have the biggest, roundest, most expressive eyes. Like all the pictures I'm looking at of them, they look so just like whimsical and thoughtful and spirited. They have gorgeous eyes. They have beautiful eyes. And one of the cool things too is when the babies are young, they have these big pink circles around their eyes and their nose. And we we like to call them the goggle eyes. And as they get older... (laughs) those pink circles start getting darker and more pigmented. Sometimes they back in, sometimes they still retain a little bit of them. But uh, I think those are the most adorable things ever. That is very cute. It does give them like a very expressive, it makes their eyes look like even bigger. So they end up with these like cartoonishly like kawaii eyes almost. Yes, that's exactly it. And the way they're just clinging to mom. Oh my gosh. I it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. They look like a little like a little forest nymph or something. They are the cutest. <laughs> I can absolutely see why you sort of fell in love with watching them and researching them because I think if you're going to be, you know, spending your career and spending a lot of your time closely observing and watching an animal, this is a great one to be because they're just so darn cute. They definitely are just they're amazing (laughs) to watch. They're beautiful. They're so smart. I feel like you could like relate to them. Well, you know, see, see a lot of primate features reflected back at you. Yes. And that was how I fell in love with them was working with them in captivity. And it was at a sanctuary that mostly had capuchin monkeys and a few spider monkeys. And I thought I wanted to study capuchin monkeys back then. And then I realized capuchins are kind of punks. (laughs) <laughs> but the spider monkeys were just, they were just amazing. And just kind of interacting with them and getting to know them was, it's hard to explain, but it's just this kind of, you realize you have this 
relationship with these animals that are so intelligent and they just look into your eyes and it's it's really amazing yeah it's like an animal that like when you look at them they they look back at you and they like stare into your soul it does feel like you can you can build a really strong connection with a with an incredible animal like that i definitely uh see why you've fallen in love with them i feel like they're easy to fall (laughs) in love with Yes, and I will say, like, the two species I'm most in love with are spider monkeys and bonobos, and they both have that same effect. Bonobos are, like, hypnotic to look at. Oh, my God. Like, you look into their eyes and you're like, do you have powers? <laughs> I feel like yeah. you have powers over me. <laughs> are you a psychic of some kind? Like, are we having, a like, a telepathic conversation? Yes, they just, like, they really like to make eye contact, and it's like they can see into your souls. I was at the zoo one time and I was at like the bonobo exhibit and there was a bonobo pretty close to like the glass of the viewing area. And so I was there completely by myself. It was early in the morning on a weekday. So there was like nobody there at the zoo. And so I decided that, you know, I was just going to take a really quick, cute selfie in front of the bonobo viewing area. And so I get out my phone and I'm like getting the perfect selfie angle and everything. And this bonobo like saw what I was doing, walked over and (laughs) slammed on the glass with both fists and i like jumped and dropped my phone and then just turned and walked away clearly you were not supposed to selfie there you did not i was like what was that and then i tried to like explain what had happened and why i had why the selfie i took was just like a blurry like motion of my phone falling to the ground and be like yeah that's because a bonobo just like (laughs) punked me It felt like a very, like, intentional, uh, like, no. I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I never took a selfie in front of the bonobos again, so clearly it worked. <laughs> well, uh, before we wrap up, I'd love it if you could let our friends listening know where they can find you. Where can people keep up with your work and your research? Where can people, f- like, follow along on social media? Or where do you want to be found? Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. M-A-R Spider Monkey. I also just started an Instagram just in case anything happens to the Twitter. Where are you at on Instagram? Uh, It is also M-A-R Spider Monkey. And then I also have a website and a blog. Awesome. And I'll have links to everything um, in the episode description. So people listening can just scroll down and click right on through, you know, if you want to learn more about primates and keep up with primate research. So I highly recommend everyone go follow Thank you so much for your time today. It has been a delight. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. And uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that you have fallen in love with spider monkeys along with us. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. You can send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That is all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.